We're going to be talking about hopes and dreams. Uh, I was talking to Pastor Barry this week, and I told him this is kind of my, my usual MO at the end of a year. I'm, I'm one for reflecting and looking ahead. I believe the Lord puts these uh, kind of seasons in our lives where we can take a breath and when we can look back and look ahead, it's almost like taking your car to the, uh, to the dealership. Uh, maybe a, a warning light's going off, um, and uh, you take it up to the dealer, and they plug it into the computer, and there's this big printout, this diagnostic printout, checking all of the systems, the air conditioning, the, the, the engine, the electrical systems, uh, the braking, and all the emergency systems, and, and it tells the technician what your car needs. I think it's good for us to do that, not just at the end of a year. I think it's good for us to do that periodically, but it's, it's something that's worth doing. Uh, to reflect on our lives, to reflect the season that we've gone through and the season that is ahead. And so today and the next few weeks, I want us to talk about hopes and dreams. There's a, 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 a quote that I came across a number of years ago. Uh, I'll attribute it to a friend of mine, although I don't think it was unique to him. I haven't been able to discover exactly where he got it from, but this quote says this, it's listed in your bulletin and it's up on the screen. It says, everyone has a why. Everyone has a why, a reason for being. The difference is whether you know what it is and are inspired by it. Isn't that a good quote? Everyone has a reason, a why in their life, but the difference from person to person is whether you know what it is and you're inspired by it. There's a, a French phrase or a French uh, saying, it's raison d'etre. And, and Dana's sitting there rolling her eyes because when it comes to uh, foreign languages, I botch it every time. Just I, I, So sorry, honey. But uh, anyways, it, literally it is reason to be. It's the verb to be, but the, your reason for existence, the reason for being and the, the the definition for this, this uh, saying is the claimed reason for the existence of something or someone, the sole and ultimate purpose. I want you to think about that. What is your sole and ultimate purpose? What's the why in your life? What's the reason for being? You're taking air in, you're breathing air out, you're breathing air in, you're, you're going through your day-to-day lives. You just lived 364 days. How's that for math? <laughs> what did you do with those days? Now, for some of you, that, that causes you great excitement because you accomplished a lot and you were in the groove. For many others, it makes you depressed. Because you're like, oh my goodness, that was a beatdown, and let's not do that again. I want us to talk about why. There's a dreamer in Scripture, his name's Joseph. Last week I talked about dreams. Uh, I told you that I I have etch-a-sketch dreams, black and white and very crude in nature and in terms of its its definition and, you know, whether, whether I can remember my dreams or not. My wife, Dana, she dreams in 4K HD, 
She's got that, you know, super big screen and it's, it's like living color, uh, it's there. Well, Joseph takes it up a degree. It's like VR, virtual reality, it's 3D, it is, you know, surround sound, it is realistic. This is Joseph. And let's look at Genesis 37 and what went on in his life. And we're going to unpack this in just a bit. But verse 2, it says, This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flock. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his, other brother, uh, uh, of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe, but his brothers hated Joseph because his father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word about him. So here we have daddy's favorite. Joseph is daddy's favorite um, because uh, Joseph's... Uh, uh, mother was his favorite wife. You go back in the story and, and you find that, that there's a reason for this. Um, not just the, him being born in old age, but uh, there's just this connection. And Jacob didn't hide it. Dad didn't hide the fact that Joseph was the favorite, that he was the chosen one, that he was the one that, that was that was above every other. And so he singled him out. And one day he pulls him aside and he says, Joseph, my son, I have this very special gift for you. Now, I did not have a richly ornamented robe, a robe of uh, many colors, a coat of many colors, so this will have to do today. And he said, Joseph, here's this coat. Here's this garment. Here's this, and I want you to put it on. And, and when all of his other brothers are working in the field, Joseph gets this nice coat put on his back. And we think, oh, isn't that nice? A nice little coat and that. Okay, yes, he's the favorite. And yes, he gets this coat. So there's this jealousy in that. Well, there's, there's more to him getting a coat than just getting a coat. And the other kid's going, oh, I wish I had a coat too. No, in, in one side of the equation, he is wearing this coat now, so it, it singles him out visually. He's got something the others don't have. He's got this, this uniform on now that his other brothers don't, and, and it sets him apart visually. He's different than them. Not only is he the favorite and the chosen one, but he is different visibly. Well, there's more to that. If you think of the the brothers going out to work in the fields, Joseph now has this heavy, richly adorned coat that he's wearing with long sleeves and it's it's cumbersome and it's that. And just by virtue of him wearing this coat is his father indicating to him that he no longer has to go out in the field to work. That's not what he's supposed to do anymore. And so not only does it visibly set him apart, it functionally sets him apart from his brothers. And his brothers are sitting there going, you dirty, rotten scoundrel. They're not just upset, they're mad. They're jealous. All sorts of emotions are going on. Now, parents don't try this at home. Just don't try this at home. It doesn't work. You want to you get some issues going in your home? You want to get some drama going on in your home? You want to create a little bit of uh, this going on in your home? Try it. 
Maybe some of you made that mistake at Christmas and you know the, the equality of gifts wasn't quite where it should have been and so you're having to deal with it. Well, I tell you, I had two older brothers and this wouldn't have gone on in my home. I got thinking of Barry with his brothers here today. That wouldn't have gone very well, would it? You know, you got, you got your older brothers and they're looking down their nose at you thinking, why don't you have to go out in the field and work? Why do you get to wear that nice, that nice garment? Why are you getting special treatment? So he had this coat and they were mad at him. They hated him. And the story goes on. It doesn't even just end there. It goes on. It says that Joseph had a dream. And the first dream went like this. And not only did he get the dream, he, he kind of, I'll say he made the mistake of telling his brothers. But anyways, this is the way the story goes. He has this dream and he tells his brothers, hey brothers, I had this dream last night. You, know, you think of them eating cereal at the breakfast table and hey, you know, you guys are going out to work in the field, have fun doing that. But before you go, let me tell you about this dream I had. And he says, uh, we, had, we were all these, these bundles of wheat. And, and we'd just been uh, collected and gathered and each of you were a bundle of wheat and I was a bundle of wheat. And then the craziest thing happened. It was just weird. And this all happened in my dream, guys. Okay, your bundles of wheat bowed down to my, bundles of wheat, my bundle of wheat. Isn't that awesome? And they're just glaring, eating their cereal. Your bundles of wheat bowed down to mine. And so they're mumbling, they're muttering, and they're mad, and they're angry, and they go off to work. Well, another day, another day goes by, and, and another dream comes to, to Joseph, and, and once again, breakfast table, and it's, hey, brothers, hey, just before you go out working in the field, and I sit here and watch cartoons for the, the morning, and, and uh, you know, flip through the channels and see what's going on, maybe learn how to cook and bake some cupcakes, or, you know, who, uh, you know. Before you guys go do what you do, let me tell you of another dream I had. So this time, it wasn't just you guys, but it was, it was dad too. And, and you guys were all, all stars in the sky. And, 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 and get this, you guys like bowed down to me. Isn't that awesome? And guarantee, you know, like, just try this at home. You know, if, you know, Barry, try this this afternoon with your brothers, okay? Just, you know, tell them, I have this dream, this vision, I believe it's from God, but, uh, you know, you guys bow down to me and see what they say. I know my brothers wouldn't be too pleased. Uh, you know, once again, you want to create issues in your family, just, you know, give your one kid a, a robe or something, uh, you know, a nice gift that the other ones don't get, and then let that one kid start having visions about the other ones bowing down. This is like the worst case scenario for Joseph. But this, these are dreams and this is a vision that God has given him and this is what God is leading him into. And so one day, they're working in a field and, and Jacob sends Joseph to visit and to check in on his brothers. And you think, okay, it's just, you know, 
normal day. And, and so Joseph hops in his, in his Cadillac, uh, uh, you know, Escalade, and he jumps in there with his robe because, you know, he doesn't want to get it dirty and he doesn't want to ride in a chariot. So he hops in his Cadillac and he drives out to the field where his brothers are at. He hops out and, and he's just, you know, fresh and nicely, you know, clean shaven. And, and he's wearing this beautiful coat and his brothers start looking at him and, and, devising a plan how they can get rid of him. Now, I must admit that my brothers, my two older brothers, uh, thought at least once in their life, if not more, um, how they could kill me. (laughs) Guaranteed. Guaranteed, they thought more than once how they could sell me to a circus. How they could just get me out of the house for good. It's what brothers naturally do, but this is heightened again. And once again, here's Joseph's brothers. They're wanting, they don't just hate him now. They just don't want to get rid of, they want to kill him and eliminate him. It's got to that level. And so verse 19 of Genesis 37, it says, here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal had eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. They're just mad. This dream that God has placed deep within Joseph's heart, he doesn't understand all the ramifications and the why and that. And I guarantee there's some parts of it that he's like, whoa, isn't this awesome? There's another part that I'm sure that he's kind of going, I don't get what's going on because this isn't getting the reception that I thought it would. You ever had a dream from the Lord that you were really excited about, but people around you weren't too jazzed about? Here it happens with Joseph. And that leads to bewilderment. That leads to a lot of things going on. Well, so they sell Joseph. They don't kill him. They sell him to Midianites, these people who are traveling through the area, and they they purchase him, and they start taking him down toward Egypt. Well, he ends up in Potiphar's house. He ends up in a place where things aren't terrible, they're not awful. Things seem to even be picking up a little bit. He's getting some favor within the household. And then the bottom drops out. He's accused wrongfully doing something he didn't do and he ends up in jail. This dream is gone. This dream is crushed. Not only is he no longer at home fulfilling what God had planned for him, now he's in a foreign place, in a foreign land, in a foreign jail. And things are, are, are quickly going from bad to worse. And all through Genesis 37, 38, all the way up to Genesis 50, you can read the story of Joseph's life. Trouble after trouble, difficulty after difficulty in a place where his dreams have been crushed and they seem a million miles away. I want to ask you, have you ever been in a place like that? Have you ever been in a place where you believe God has spoken to you? You believe that that there's this direction and this purpose. You have understood the why in your life and yet today you feel like you're a million miles away or maybe there was a time, even this past year and the last numbers of years where you felt like you're a million miles away from what God has wired you for. Well, Joseph was there. When you feel like those things are so unattainable, the why in your life, the one thing that you should be living for, and it's not you right now. 
Well, I believe when that happens, there's a number of common feelings that come up to the surface. I want to look at those this morning. A number of these, these natural responses that we have when our dreams seem crushed, when our dreams seem to be destroyed, when our dreams seem to not even be in existence anymore. And I believe the first one is this, is frustration. We get frustrated. We just can't believe it. We, we're, we're, we're even jumping into the realm of anger and animosity and, and just this frustration is, is coming to the surface and bitterness wells up inside of us. We're mad at ourselves. We're mad at God. We're mad at everyone else. You ever been there? You ever had those feelings of anger and animosity? Just everything is falling apart. Frustration is the key response. Shows on our face, it shows in our emotions. We can't hold back any longer. We've stuffed it for long enough, but it's coming out, rising to the surface. That's one expression. Second expression, the second feeling that comes to the surface is disappointment. It's like a flat tire. It's a it's tire that all the air has been sucked out of it. It's, it's flat. It's lifeless. There's nothing left inside. We're defeated and we can't muster enough strength to lift our head up off the pillow. We find ourselves in this place where heavy sighs are coming quick. Man, there was a time a number of years ago where I found myself, I was at a stoplight and there's nothing wrong with traffic, nothing frustrating in and of that, that moment, but I found myself just gripping the steering wheel and letting out a heavy sigh. And it was in that moment I realized, boy, I've been sighing a lot lately. You ever been in a place like that? Where you catch yourself time after time after time through the day, just oh, for real. And this disappointment just keeps coming in its extreme manifestation. It, 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 it rears its head in depression. We feel depressed. We feel like, like we just can't get our minds off of how terrible things are. Our imaginations run wild. We resort to sarcasm and apathy. Indifference becomes a part of our, of our personality. We could care less. And these d defense mechanisms are things we cling to just to get through the day. There's no more dream. There's no more life. You ever been there? I believe another expression, another feeling that comes to the surface, that bubbles to the surface when dreams are far from us is confusion. Suddenly our world is turned upside down. We can't make sense of things. All the constants are gone. And those anchors that we were once holding to, all those have busted loose. You know, it's almost like a, a, a stick that you've thrown into a river and it's making its way down the river and it's going gonna, it's gonna to reach its destination at the end, but yet it gets caught up in one of these whirlpools, kind of an eddy, and it just keeps spinning around and around and around and around and it can't seem to get loose and get back into the mainstream again and working its way down. Your life feels like that. 
confused. You don't know which way's up, which way's down, you know, left, what's right, what's, where am I going? Where, what was the dream to start with? There's more questions than answers. And we're unable to figure things out. And sometimes even embarrassment is a part of these feelings because we no longer feel like we have control of the important things of life. You see, each one of these feelings are very, very real. Each one of these feelings are feelings that we, we embrace. It becomes us, and little by little, this, this jacket that we're wearing that resembles the dream that was placed on our shoulders, it becomes ill-fitting. It almost be, becomes something that is a, a lie. It's, it's a farce. It's a reminder of, of almost this ridicule. And what do we begin to do? We begin to shed it. And some of you even throw it and kick it a million miles away. But most of us, we just lay it aside and walk away like it was never there. Because the, the less we think about it, the less these feelings will come to the surface. The less we, we dwell on that, that which God has put in our hearts, the less hurt that will be there the less anger that will be there, the less depression that will be there. If we can only get far away from it, then maybe, just maybe, we'll get some sense in what life is all about. And we begin to doubt God's voice. We doubt our value. We doubt even what God has chosen and destined in our life. The enemy comes. And the enemy starts stealing those things that God has placed in our lives. You think back to the garden, Genesis 3. The doubt that was placed in Eve's mind and in her heart. The doubt that was placed in Adam's mind and his heart. And it all began like this. God didn't really say that, did he? And how many times with the dreams that God has placed in your heart has the enemy come in and said, God didn't really say that, did he? You think of Joseph and the number of times the enemy would have come to him and said, God didn't really say that, did he? Why would you embrace something that is going to have your brothers hating you? What is going to, why would you embrace something that you say is from God that is going to ostracize you from your family and your comfort zone and everything you know to be true? Why would you do that and why would God ever say something like that? And you start believing a lie of the enemy. Just like Joseph could. But he didn't. And on top of that, what are we as good Christians as if there's something like that? As if something like a good Christian in fact exists. But what do, what do we feel like we have to do? We've got to stuff it, right? We've got to walk into church on a Sunday and, and someone comes up to you and says, How are you doing, sister? Oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. How are you doing, brother? How's your life, man? God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. Right? That's the right answer, isn't it? And we get, we get covering it up. Why? Because we don't feel like we can be disappointed. Because if we're disappointed, that is a reflection on God, and God is faithful, and I know He's true, and I know He's reliable, and if, if I'm feeling disappointed, there's got to be something wrong with me. I'm frustrated, but I can't be frustrated, because I, if I'm frustrated, especially if it's about a, a, a promise and a, and a dream that God's put in my life, and I'm frustrated, obviously there's nothing wrong with God, there must be something wrong with me. 
So I just have to stuff it because that's obviously an inappropriate feeling for me to be having right now. I'm, I'm feeling confused, but once again, why should I be feeling confused when God has said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and if you follow me, life will be good, and life will be a bed of roses, and life will be fine, and you just don't have to worry about anything, and you'll never be confused in your life. Not that he ever said that, but we get believing that, right? And we stuff it. We stuff it. I'm blessed and I'm highly favored. God is good all the time and all the time God is good. Then why do I feel awful? Why am I frustrated? Why am I disappointed? Why, do I, why am I struggling with depression? Why, why have I gone through my day and I've had this heavy sigh about 95 times today? This is tough. You know, if you were ever supposed to walk into a place like this, and put on my happy face and stuff anything else. Let me ask you this question. Why was Jesus, God's son, known as a man of sorrows? Why does, why does Isaiah call him a man of sorrows familiar with suffering? If we were ever supposed to stuff the stuff. Here's the deal though. Oftentimes when that anger and that animosity, when that frustration, when that disappointment, the depression, when the confusion, when that we internalize and it becomes us and it, it, it manifests us in us in ways that aren't pleasing to God. And we need to be careful there, but at the same time, what we're called to do with those things is we're called to bring them to God. We're called to bring them to Him. Instead of stuffing them, we can confidently go to God and say, you know what? I know your heart breaks. And I know it says in Scripture that your son suffered many things. Your son even prayed in the garden, Lord, take this cup from me. He said, but not my will, your will be done. Jesus exuded his full humanity just like we experience full humanity. And he set the tone that we can be honest with our feelings and our thoughts and our, our hurts and our pains. God wired us that way. He created us that way. But we're called to bring those things to him. Surrender those things to him. Let me give you permission to take some anger and some animosity to God. Say, God, I'm, I'm kind of chapped right now. Um, you don't have to do it the polite way either. You can just kind of go off, you know. Just kind of do it. You know, God's created you. He knows what it's like. You think Thomas, for Pete's sake. Thomas goes, I'm not going to believe unless I do what? Unless I feel the scars in Jesus' hand and his side. God wired Thomas that way. So, so don't be surprised that Jesus didn't tear his strip off of him like we've all given Thomas a bad rap and said, oh, he's doubting Thomas. No, Thomas was wired that way by God. God knew that. Jesus knew that he needed that. And so in his way, he goes, I need this. I'm frustrated right now. I'm disappointed. I'm, I'm, I'm scared because, because my Savior was crucified and, and people are saying he's risen from the dead and I just can't wrap my mind around that. Is that Okay. Is that okay for me to not wrap, be able to wrap my mind around it until I can just process it myself? And so Jesus goes to him and says, here, 
I know you well enough. Come touch. So some of you might, you might just kind of have to do it in the polite way because that's just how you're wired. And you'll just kind of sit there and go, you know, God, I'm frustrated. And you'll hear from him, you'll just kind of have it out like that. If you're like me, it's a little more dramatic. It's like, God, I'm not loving this so much. That's kind of why I talk to God a lot when I'm running. You know? I just, you know, I get my headphones on and, you know, I'm just kind of pause and God, I'm really kind of, you know, we have this conversation. That's a good thing. Take those things to God. Take those things to God. We need to be honest with our frustrations. We need to be honest with those things with God. Here's the other thing I believe God's speaking to us about this morning is many of us have thrown the dream down. We've thrown the promise down. As I mentioned, we've tried to run as far away from it as possible. Or we're sitting there with our our frustrations and our hurts and that and going, okay, fix this, God. And and then once this is fixed, we'll kind of maybe consider getting back to it. But here's what I believe the Lord is encouraging each of us to do. In the same way that Joseph's father put on him that mantle and put on him that promise and put on him that dream, I believe God has put that dream in your heart. And here's what I believe that God wants us to do today is even though this feels like it's a hundred miles away, maybe a million miles away, he wants us to put it on and he wants us to wear it. He wants us to live it out and walk it out. In the same way we talked about Mary, who this, this dream that she had and this, this, this um, message from the angel was so unbelievable, incomprehensible. Yet, what did she say? What was her response? It was saying, be it unto me, just as you've said. And I believe our response to God today, even in the frustrations and even in the, the, these, these emotions and these feelings that are coming up is saying, you know what, God, I, I don't understand how this is going to take place. Just like Joseph was sitting in that jail going, I don't understand how this becomes a reality. But you know, I'm willing to walk it out. I'm willing to, to, to believe that you know just a little bit more than I do. And I'm going to walk it out. I don't know what it looks like and my brothers might hate me and, and my father, even my own earthly father might be sitting there scoffing and going, hey, you're taking it a little bit too far. Just like Joseph's dad, Jacob said after that one dream, he goes, I think you ought to tone it down a little bit, Joseph. But Joseph knew what he knew what he knew was from God. And he continued to walk it out. I believe that's what we're called to do. What's the core call of God on your life? What's God been speaking to you about? What's God wired you for? What is your purpose in life? And I believe you are called to walk that out in authenticity, in vulnerability, to walk that out like only you can walk that out. Do you know I can't walk your life out? 
I can't walk your calling out. I can't take your coat, your promise, your dream and live that out. The only person who can live that out with the effectiveness that it was designed to is you. You're the only person. I'm the only person who can walk my life out. You can't live it for me. You can't fulfill God's plans for my life. And you failing to be authentically you is robbing the world of the gift that God has intended for the world. You failing to to embrace the call and to embrace the dream that God has given you is robbing the world, is robbing your family, is robbing your husband, is robbing your wife, is robbing your parents, is robbing your kids of the gift that God has intended you to live out. What does that look like? What does that look like? What are the dreams that God has put in your life? There's an old Roman proverb that refers to the why. What are you here for? Why do you get up in the morning? Why do you go to work? It says, when the pilot does not know for what port he is headed, no wind is the right wind. But if you know where you're going and you can catch the wind in your sails, then even the strongest storms cannot deter you. Do you know where you're going? Do you know the why in your life? I'd love to say for Joseph it got immediately better, but it didn't. It kind of went from bad to worse. But eventually, little by little by little, he ended up in Pharaoh's palace. Why? Because of more dreams. You see, he could have stuffed the dreams. But no, he kept receiving. He kept walking it out. And God kept revealing to him. And God kept giving him dreams. And he has a dream of a a famine that is going to come across the land. That this this message that God has given to Pharaoh and, and, and allowed him to interpret is that there's going to be seven years of famine that they need to prepare for. And so they spend the time stockpiling all the resources that they'll need. And Egypt becomes this place, thanks to Joseph, this place of of great resource and great wealth and and lots of, of food and sustenance for not only Egyptians, but for the entire region during those seven years of famine. And what happens is even Israel is feeling the weight of the famine. And so Jacob's family, his sons are sent to Egypt to get food. Joseph's brothers are sent to Pharaoh's palace to seek out food. And that dream that was given to Joseph years earlier becomes a reality. Take a look at Genesis 50. It says, then Joseph's brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves. Dream fulfilled. Verse 19 and 20 really kind of puts the icing on the cake. You could tell Joseph's chewed on this for a long time says, don't be afraid of me. 
You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Save the lives of many people. The blessing of his life, the gift of his life that God had intended for those around him. How does God want to use you? Let's bow our heads in prayer, shall we?